What's up guys? Uh, today's interview is with Robert Loria. I uh, just finished interviewing him, but I just wanted to give you kind of a brief on who he was before we dive into it. So Robert Loria, he's an inner city school teacher from Los Angeles, California. And the interesting thing about this guy is he's so positive mind. He has such a positive mindset and, it, and he grew up with a lot of disabilities. He had a hearing impairment and other disabilities that he ran into throughout life. And how I initially found out about Robert was he had this video on Facebook where he talked about how he overcame his labels, uh, you know, whether that be in his special ed classroom, whether that be, you know, being overprotected because he was, he had these disabilities and how he was able to, you know, become a teacher, kind of live a regular life and do the things that he wanted to pursue by, um, you know, just not letting disabilities hold him back. I thought it was such a powerful message and, um, just someone that I really admire and look up to that's so motivational for me because I think it's the everyday people you know like whether you have disabilities or whether you you know are teaching in an inner city and uh, how much of an effect you have on the people around you it's just really admirable for me so without a doubt guys let's jump into this podcast and I want to introduce you to Robert Loria welcome to the Zenfulness podcast I'm your host, Jeremiah Schmidt, and this podcast is about the transformation process for people who envision possibilities, cultivate their courage, and tap their potential. We are part of a group here who are inspired to chase their dreams, overcome limitations, and take action in the real world. Thank you for listening to the Zenfluence podcast. Let's get started. But uh, yeah, I guess I'm excited for this podcast, and I want to thank you once again, Robert, for coming on the podcast. And um, I guess I'll just pass it over to you to begin and just like, let's introduce who, who is Robert Loria? Like, wh- who are you and what do you do? We're not doing the podcast today, right? Oh, no. Oh, we're doing it today. Oh, we are doing it today? Yeah. Oh, I, I didn't, I didn't realize that. You oh. haven't started, you haven't started the podcast now, have you? Oh, no. Oh, I, it's, yeah, like it's, it's recording right now. So like now, like, I, I guess, are you ready for it? It's. I not no, I, I didn't totally know, but let me get psyched up for this. Okay, I'm ready. Okay. <laughs> That's cool. Well there, you, well, there you go. There's Robert Loria. And um, I guess I'll just pass over the mic to you. I know that you're an inner city teacher in LA and you've gone through a, an experience with labels and disabilities and just growing up from being an overprotected person. And I really resonated with your story when I heard it on Facebook. So I just want to pass it over to you, Robert, and, you know, let let you introduce yourself to the public and who you are and what you stand for. Yes, thank you. Um, Basically, I would say um, who I am and what I stand for. Basically, I have something that's common to everybody, a lot of people. Mm -hmm. And and you don't shouldn't feel bad if you're in a rut. Because if you if you get in a rut, you have to listen to this because it's not gonna go away and it will only grow over time. And I ended up actually living somebody else's dream. And you know, this is something that in the old days happened all the time. If you go back to the old days, if your father's a shoemaker, you're gonna be a shoemaker. And you were taught the trade little by little, like from the time you're eight, nine years old. Mm-hmm. So sometimes 
what uh, serves one person doesn't serve another person. See, I came from I came from a loving home. There was no crazy drama going on. We didn't have alcoholism. We didn't have my father cheating on my mother or anything of that nature. Mm -hmm. So I was blessed of, of that environment. On the other hand, my mother, there was um, a troubled home life to some extent. And the troubled home life with uh, cheating and spousal abuse, that sort of stuff, school became her like refuge. Because when there's all that going on, you have to escape from the from all the drama and craziness. So sometimes you can turn inward and your self-worth will come from that. Mm. And there was another thing I was taught because of her environment, I was taught not to be assertive. Because if, if you see spouse abuse going on and you start getting assertive and go, I don't agree with that, you're like, whoa my God, what could the retribution be? So sometimes we're, we um, become not assertive because it can be survival in the environment we're in. But the trouble becomes that when we get out of that environment, then, and it's not true anymore, then it doesn't serve us anymore. So I remember when I would get like, um, if I voice my opinion or something like this is no, no, so-and-so might get mad. And it was one of her family members or something. So then that I didn't come from a background like that where some violence or something would happen if I was going to be assertive, but it's kind of like that sort of thing. And what can happen is after my mother passed away, then the whole thing of not being assertive, I, I, yeah, I have to be assertive to assert myself and reach my goals and get to where I want to be. So I guess, Robert, did that lead you when, like, for example, as a child, when you, some of these labels and like people labeled you with certain disabilities and put, and put you under these um, uh, like tests that you had to do, like, were you able to voice your opinion there? Like, did you just accept the label? Like, how did you deal with those labels? Well, Basically, the label, here's what happened. The basic thing was I started off with a good self-esteem mm -hmm. because your self-esteem is at the beginning is kind of based on how I'm doing compared to the other children in school. And I was way, two years ahead in uh, reading and one year ahead in math. And that was with... A hearing, a hearing disability where I only had half of my hearing. Mm -hmm. But my mother did teach me everything I needed to know one-on-one -on -one over the summer, just an hour a day, an hour and a half. I still remember when a friend came to the door and go, I'm free. And I'll be like, yeah. But so that was, that was enough. So now I only have half of my hearing. And then when I'm in school, everything's review. So even though I had this hearing disability or whatever, I was getting bored out of my mind when the kids were trying to learn how to read and were stumbling over the words and I, I could just read like this. So it, it was at the point that 
the hearing, I remember being in recess and then I would look up and I didn't hear the bell ring. And then I see people like way far ahead and I'm like, oh my God, I'm going to be late and I would have to run. It was good exercise. Mm. And, and it was good preparing, I guess, preparing for stress and that sort of stuff. But I can do this. <laughs> so, so how did you overcome your disabilities? Like I know you, you mentioned you were, you were in these court, they, you were forced to be in these classrooms where, you know, you felt like uh, degraded in the sense, like they were giving you tests that were too easy. Um, what was your experience with that? Well, the, te- the, test, the test was, you see, <clears throat> So I'm doing well, and then I'm not, I was in these like uh, speech classes, mm-hmm. like the speech program. And with the, and with the speech program, the way that works is, you know, you don't feel, it doesn't hurt you in the respect where you feel separate. Cause you're still in the, the class. The kids don't look down at you. The kids are so young, they didn't even realize what speech is. In fact, it's, it's the, it was the opposite. And they said, you got to go speech. I would see the, the children's faces and it was fun. I'd see the jealousy, like, where's he get to go? Mm-hmm. And then I have a little smirk on my face. I wouldn't tell them what it was, but a little smirk kind of like, hey, this is great. And you're missing out. <laughs> so was, Robert, was that speech class because of your hearing impairment, like to help you? Oh, it's basically when you what happens is if you don't hear properly then you're gonna speak like you hear so you're gonna speak grammatically not right you're gonna be missing words and then if you're not hearing then your auditory memory is not going to be as good so i remember going there that them trying to build it up where i can remember five seven things or whatever like that so it was just a few minutes, so it it didn't do anything there. So I had this, you know, the good self-image, like I said before, because, you know, as a kid, you just relate, how am I doing compared to the kids? And if you're ahead, then you're like, hey, I'm smart. So then I remember this one day, and, you know, I believe it's so important to tell children and talk to them about things that are important. Mm-hmm. Like... I took a test that determined my future and nobody told me this. They just come to the house and then there's this test and it's like easy. And I don't know why am we doing this? It's just kind of random. And then it's like, what's wrong? What's wrong with this picture? I go, well, the cow has five legs. It should have four. What's this shape? A triangle. What's this shape? What's, what's this picture Oh, that picture is something soft what's this picture? This is blah, blah, blah. What's missing? What? And then it just, it didn't get anywhere that challenged me. So now you're only 10 years old mm-hmm. and you know, you, you want to go out and do something. And then you're just like, after a while, after 35 minutes of it, you're like, I don't know what, what I'm doing here. These questions seem so dumb. They're not challenging me. So then after a while, you're like, Oh my God, I'll just say anything. So that's what I did. I just started saying whatever. Mm-hmm. You think you would draw the conclusion after the amount of time what what happened or something like that, and then, and then I find myself in a whole different world, where yes, I have this hearing disability, but my maturity and everything was like a ten year old and that sort of thing. 
So now I'm in this world where it's small. So you think you're intelligent and now you're like, what's going on? I'm in a room. She's eating baby food. Mm -hmm. uh, this one's way below grade level in math and this and that. And I'm like, what am I doing here? And then immediately I go, I must be stupid. I thought I was smart. I'm not smart. So it's that true. started creating the label and that sort of thing. So, so I guess Robert, like, so you took a test around 10 years old and you didn't really know what it was. Yeah. They didn't explain what it was for. If yeah, they told me the seriousness of it, I would be like, okay, let's go. So then from that test alone, then they switched you to a different like specialized classroom. Mm -hmm. And then in that class, you just didn't feel like you belonged there. Exactly. So even though I wasn't that assertive, sometimes if people are pushed enough in a certain area, even if they're not assertive, all of a sudden they will be. So I, you know, it was like building on me. I was only there a year and I was remembering it was towards the end of the year. And I remember just demanding from the teacher and my parents, I need to be tested. Some, you know, something's not right here. And then my mother didn't tell me the results of the test until way later. Mm -hmm. I ended up having the highest IQ ever in special ed as of 1980. Wow. So, so you are honored to be speaking to the Stephen Hawking of special ed. Yeah. Well, well so, so what was your experience, Robert, in, the, in that classroom? Like when, when you first walk into this, special ed special ed classroom and you don't really know why you're there um like what was your first initial thoughts what what, what did you experience um, the base the basic thing like i was saying before when you're putting all this together and then they're telling you another thing that tr the last straw for me was they were they told me to make the sound of a chicken in front of all the kids and i'm like i was like come on and then that's that was the thing that it happened, I think, several times. I think it was just, it got to a point and I was like, what's going on here? Mm. And yeah, I remember getting upset and throwing a chair or two. Oh. <laughs> that, that was out of character for me. But yeah, I the thing was, your world shrinks. So not all schools had special ed programs at the time. So that makes it harder too because now you didn't move and you're removed from all your so social um your peers and everything like that and all your friends and that sort of thing now you're put into the small world and then you try to interact with the other kids and then there's a pressure even if the kids are nice there's a pressure why are you hanging out with the special ed kid mm -hmm. so that is the closest I can come to experiencing racism. The closest is I could see in their eyes, you know, like not to talk to him, that sort of thing. So mm. now all of a sudden I wanted to expand out of there. I was like, I don't feel right here. So now I, you try to branch out because there's a whole school there. And then you find out you can't really branch out or it's extremely hard. So then you kind of look around and then there's a kid I kind of connected with or the best I could was aphasic. Do you know what that is? Uh, no. That would be the most frustrating thing is you have all these ideas. Okay. Say you have all these ideas for this podcast or whatever, or I have all these ideas and 
I'll feel really strongly about it. I want to really say whatever I want, I'm saying right now. But then it's all here, but it takes me a long time to spit it out, oh. to formulate it. There's So he was into astronomy, and I was when I was a little kid. That was when the Voyager was going on all the missions, and they were exploring the solar system. And I had to have the most biggest amount of patience of my life and that was the only person I could connect with and I would have to wait so long for those ideas to come out it was yeah because we had a similar interest but that was the only person I could connect with wow. it was that was really really tough it was yeah so so I guess and he was really intelligent but the poor guy oh my god the that would be so frustrating oh my god I was like ah. yeah. so it's there but they they just can't spit it out it's I, there's that disconnect but it's here so that'd be so frustrating so, so i guess going through that whole experience how did you get to a point where you never you didn't let the disability or the label hold you back like what was your transition out of you know like getting out of that specialized classroom and saying you know what i challenge me with the test like i'm i don't belong i don't deserve to be here like what was your experience with that just um basically it just got to a head where I just couldn't I just couldn't continue. I needed I knew that I needed to get out of there. And you know, that's when I talked to my parents and the teacher and and I demanded, you get me tested. You know, I, mm -hmm. it's probably the first time in my life where I actually was an adult, you know. So because so, sometimes you'll see that, like uh, I work in schools and sometimes you'll see a glimmer of an adult, even in a, even in somebody that's growing up. Mm. So yeah, that was, so, it's like, sometimes people will not be assertive, but it'll get to a certain point where they do, even if it's just momentarily a couple of times in their life. So I guess Robert, by what you mean as assertive, that's like going out and chasing your goals or your dreams. Like, is that, is that what you mean by that or? Yeah, basically. The thing is with labels, unfortunately, there's more and more labels in the modern day and more and more labels are being created. And what, what it does is the labels sometimes will create somebody's self-image mm -hmm. and their perception of what they're capable of. You see, the label can cause you to not be assertive. And part of that now looking is, you know, my mother had health problems. She wanted to be a teacher and I ended up kind of getting into her career and not getting out of it when I could tell it wasn't for me. And, and part of that has nothing to do with labels. What happens to a lot of people is they'll get, they'll put in all the money and all the work and all the years into a certain thing and a certain dream or whatever. But then when they find out it's not for them, it's like, I can't turn back. I have put in all this time, I put in all this money, and now I'm just gonna go to retirement. And if we're living just for retirement, we're not living. I mean, mm -hmm. so, because, you know, when, I, when, I, when we pass away, we're gonna think about um, the relationships we had and that sort of thing. So. I knew that if I continued down the road I was on, 
I was gonna pass away with regret. And that was a for sure thing. Because I, that's one of the things people like that work in hospices, they have one thing that the most of us don't have, that people review their lives towards the end and they hear, they know what's important in life because they hear the regrets of people that are old. And then from there, they have something that we don't have. In fact, that's one idea I've had is interviewing somebody that works in a hospice. Mm-hmm. And from that, you know, titling it or something, what's really important in life. So I guess, Robert, what you were saying is because, so from the special ed point, um, you ended up becoming a teacher just by following what your mother wanted to do and what she was doing. Exactly. And, um, so like, I guess so far with your experience, you know, being a, a teacher and I guess you said the L, in LA in the inner city, um, like what, what is an inner city and, and what has your experience been teaching there? An inner city is um, like a lower socioeconomic mm. usually. And you'll come across some kids that will do powerful things. There was one kid he went to this nice area in the city in California in Irvine mm-hmm. and it made an impression on him. He was getting bad grades and he was working, he was going to school in the inner city. And after that, it just made an impression on him. And then he put pictures of Irvine all over his house and was like, I'm going to live in Irvine. And then he started getting straight A's and that was just oh. his whole thing. <laughs> and they went there for something i don't know what it was but it just immediately he said he he changed his friends he said everything yeah it just really really opened up a whole new world to him and that's the thing is we have choices when we see something like um that look that looks good or something we can say to ourselves be jealous of that Mm -hmm. or we could say it's possible and how do you do that and that was in that movie i forget i can't remember the movie but anyways he was trying to sell these computers and all this and then and then he became like a stockbroker you know what movie i'm talking about oh i think that's the uh, pursuit of happiness there you go and he could have been jealous when he saw that car but instead he said what do you do and how do you do it and then, yeah, that's, that's the whole thing is no matter where you are, you can, if you are trying to become an entrepreneur or be successful, if you focus too much on the people that are way ahead of you and that sort of thing, mm-hmm. it's not going to work because there'll always be somebody ahead of wherever you are. So you have to compete with yourself. That was the same thing. I played pool and I played in some pro tournaments and whatever. And it was the same thing when I was competing. If I look, if I looked at all these um, players that have maybe some better natural skills and blah, blah, blah. If I focused on that, then I'd be discouraged. Mm-hmm. So you have to focus on, on, how you're getting better and that sort of thing. So you're competing against yourself, not against other people. Because if you compete against other people, then eventually you'll get burned out and you'll be like, oh. So I guess- I'll never be as good as them. You know, it's like, eh. 
Well, like, I love that. I think I love this quote. It's like, you should only compare yourself to who you were yesterday, not to who someone else is today. Yeah, it's so and, true. And I think like, even for you, like you kind of embodied that as you transition out of uh, like, not only the special ed class, you, you demanded it for yourself. And even now, like you're saying you want to transition out of teaching. And, and like, so like, why do you want to switch out of teaching right now? Well, that's that's easy to say actually okay i read the i read the book uh seven steps of highly effective people mm -hmm. and then you got these different little chapters keep the end in mind and one of the exercises is write a mission statement and here's the thing that when you do something like in a book or a course you never know what benefit you're going to get from it so i write the mission statement and I can only tell you one line of it. So writing that mission statement only had one bit of value, but it says everything. Mm -hmm. I, either, I want this or this. No, here it is. I want to help those who really want to be helped. So in the public schools, of course, they're not all there that really want to be helped and there's different forms of resistance one form of resistance well in my day you know we didn't have texting it was um, passing notes or drawing or falling asleep then the higher level of resistance i start going in, in the class and start getting like wild or something you know but they're all forms of resistance and if you're that's the whole thing so when I create my programs or whatever, those who don't want to be helped, they won't look for it. So I, I can get more out of people that don't have that resistance as much. Mm. And it, it can be a different kind of resistance, you know, fear and this sort of thing. There still can be some resistance, but it won't be a resistance of hostility. I'm being forced to do this. You know, nobody forces us to you know, if you have a course, join your course or anything of that nature. So Robert, I guess with like your teaching experience, why do you think certain students or certain people, not even students, but just let's say people in life, like where do you think that resistance comes from? Um, what do you think holds people back? What has held you back? Where, where have you ran into that resistance in your life? Well, I think, and the whole school thing is there to help people, of course. It doesn't have some evil intention. But the thing is, the, I think the hardest thing, and I don't have an answer for this, is we ask people who are really, really young to make these huge decisions about what they're going to do about their life when they don't have much life experience. Mm -hmm. So if I don't have much life experience, sometimes I don't even know if the things I like, I really like, or were there things that I was influenced to do. And that's part of, part of the school model is, you know, some people go, I don't like math. I don't like biology. I hate history. But the motto was we the idea is we expose children to a whole bunch of stuff so then they can kind of decide what they want to do. Mm -hmm. I think 
maybe a good model is something they did when I was in sixth grade. I was only in special ed a year, so this was after that. They had something called Fine Arts Survey. And it, if they use this model bigger, maybe this could be the solution for schools to some extent. Where in the Fine Arts Survey, you just started middle school. So we're going to expose you in one year to all the different electives. So there's a few weeks of drama. There's a few weeks of cooking. There's a few weeks of metal shop. There's a few weeks of wood shop. There's a few minutes of uh, a few weeks of drafting. Mm -hmm. So the kids are exposed to a whole bunch of stuff. And then, and then yes, after I literally touched every elective there is, then when the counselor said pick some electives, I'll be like, oh yeah, I had fun my two year two weeks of drama or whatever it was. I think it was more than that, than two weeks, maybe six weeks, but still. So that could, that could be part of the solution. So taking, exposing, but maybe not like everyone has to do this, but the exposure less. So it's kind of like, I just, I got a little taste of that. And if I, I like that, I'll have more caviar, you know, like that. Well, yeah, like I 100% agree with you. I think that um, even in my personal life, when, when it comes to school, you know, I switched around a lot of university just because I didn't really know what I wanted to do. And just the process of just switching around and trying different things, I kind of led me to who I am now. And I think that, um, you know, to your point with getting more life experience, um, if you had advice for someone out there or even to your past self, Robert, of how to gain life experience, um, what, what advice would you have? Or like, what would you to tell yourself differently of how to go out there and like get more life experience? Well, I think part of the thing, a couple of things is sometimes we don't find out that when we're in school, we're, we're not experiencing it. We're getting all the facts and this information, but we're not experiencing it. We're not, our, we're not getting our hands into the occupation. We're not experiencing the occupation. So I think a couple of things, when you're in high school or whatever, try to get in an internship where you're learning and you're experiencing it because you don't want to spend these enormous university fees or even buy programs and stuff until you get an idea if you really like that because you don't want to spend all the money and go through all that and then say, I don't like this. And now you got, this is what leads to the rut is now it's like, I can't go back. I've invested so much money mm. and I'm repaying these loans or whatever. And then the pressure from the family and everything else, uh, excuse me, you spent all these years doing what? And now you say it's not for you. Are you, are you serious? And that sort of thing. And then there's the pressure, you know, I have to start start on my road to retirement and all this. And now I'm going to be later in the game and that sort of thing. So that's part of it. Also, talk to somebody from that occupation. Because somebody that's actually in it and not a teacher will be more apt to tell the positive and the negatives. Mm -hmm never never they'll never be the perfect occupation whatever you do there'll be parts of it you're not completely into 
you know, some people might be really into the YouTube, you know, and that sort of thing, but then they're like, oh, with the editing. Mm -hmm. So the thing is too, the, Focus on the one thing that you're good at. If you're trying to do something big, find the right people around you that are good at those other things. So, so I guess I, probably, I think um, that's pro probably the what the way I do things. If you know, if somebody said, "Hey, you can start over," I go, "Okay, we're doing this." So I guess coming now, though, what does the future have in store for you? I know you mentioned you just you're into YouTube and. You create there but what are your plans for transitioning out of this teacher like what what do you want to do next okay well you got it here's what you have to do and that that's a good question is look at if you were in a field even if you're burned down on it sometimes you got to dive even deeper and say okay i am burned down on this but part of the reason there's got to be something, maybe something positive I was getting out of it. Maybe that was the thing that kind of kept it going. So for me, I enjoy speaking. I enjoy talking about ideas and that sort of thing and speaking in front of others. So there, you take that element. Don't just look at it as all negative. Just say, is there something from there that I want to extract? If there's one, so ask yourself, What's the one positive thing? I don't like this experience, but what's the one positive thing that I can take from there and go somewhere else? And for me, that's, that's speaking and expressing ideas. So I, I'd like to do speaking. I'd like to make programs to help others and, and that sort of thing, so. Oh, okay, so that's kind of how you, so from teaching, you realize that you had a natural talent and you really enjoy like speaking and yeah, speaking in front of others and that sort of thing. So, you know, people that have trouble speaking in front of others and that sort of thing, the thing is we put too much into our head that I'm not sitting here going, oh, I'm on a podcast. Mm -hmm. Oh, I'm being interviewed. Because if I start thinking I'm on a podcast, then my mind will go so many places. It will go, uh, am I presentable? Did I get a haircut? Mm. What? Oh, what should have I said? Oh, I should have said this earlier. Now, now he's farther in the interview. And now I can't say that now. No, that's not true. Mm. And when you're giving a speech, if you're thinking too much about all those things, then you're going to forget parts of the speech. So I've never, I've never given a speech. I've never, I've never done an interview because to me there, I never give a speech. I never give an interview because my mind does something different. When you said, Hey, you want to be on a podcast? I said, okay, I'll have a conversation. And then I've never given a speech because my mind never says that. It says, I'm going to talk about this. So, you know, we've all, we don't amp all this stuff in our head, you know. So we, we give the title and make it into this big thing when it's, when it shouldn't be. It's, we, we've talked to people all our lives. So now, and a lot of times we didn't know the questions they were going to ask. And then you were like, okay. Mm -hmm. So that, 
that's so frame it in your mind and then the thing is um, one advice I would give for a speech is when you're giving a speech you will forget something you wanted to say we're not perfect but the magic of it is if you're really talking about something you're passionate about you'll forget this thing that you wanted to say but then all of a sudden you'll say stuff that you never planned that you never said before and you go wow that was cool mm -hmm. and that's happened to me several times actually so so w w the the titles we give it i guess this is going back to labels maybe the time mm -hmm. the labels we give of what we're doing if we put them way over here then we'll just make it so big in our heads then then it makes us nervous but if we lower it of what it is then you're like like when i played in pro tournaments for pool i would just i'd say oh i, I gotta play in this little tournament so that was kind of what i did i go oh, this little tournament and I, you know that's kind of the thing it's our perceptions of the meaning of what we're doing and this is so important and almost like this is our last chance or something maybe that's another thing too mm -hmm. if we put all this meaning into it then it's like i only have this one chance there won't be other opportunities and then that gets us nervous if we it's like oh if i don't if i don't say if i don't do good in this podcast on in uh jeremiah's podcast i'll never get another opportunity to be on a podcast mm -hmm. this is it this is it and if i oh my gosh this is my opportunity this is it this is it and if i put that in my head i'm gonna oh my god i could be really nervous if i keep on saying that maybe i'll start getting nervous now who knows so, so i guess you know, i love that mindset robert like you relieve the pressure by not putting too much of a like oh this is my only chance to do something and then that way i think you can be able to like speak authentically and you know exactly you have to yeah. think that there's um you know a whole bunch of possibilities and and there's so many doors and now more than ever with technology there's so many possibilities it's yeah it's so different it's not it's not it's not the middle ages and i'm a surf and and i, I can't dream of anything else and then i i would just uh find a way to make my strawberries more tasty i don't know <laughs> maybe maybe that would be the highlight i'd find something to to try to find some you know value you know so yeah well robert I've, uh, and then the, everybody in my little village would go wow this is a cool way of eating these strawberries and then and then i and you know what i'll get them out of a rut and they're excited about this new way of eating strawberries <laughs> by putting raisins in the center i don't know yeah <laughs> Somebody well, thinks that's wonderful and that they're all eating raisins with uh, strawberries with raisins in the middle. <laughs> There's always a way, creative way to find, you know, peace in something mm -hmm. when all around you, it just seems like the same. So there, there's always a way. So, so would that be your advice for like, <laughs> let's say if someone is listening to this and they may be in like a specialized classroom or they're a young person who's been labeled, um, you know, coming back to your idea of, you know, lowering, lowering the, the perception of what these mean to you. But uh, how, how would somebody get out of that rut? Like how would someone get out of those labels? That, 
that's a that's a very hard question that's for that's for sure because it's there all the time but then think think that are the times that you accomplished something that you didn't think you could think to the time when other people um believed you couldn't do something and you did do and you did do that thing because the whole thing is i think one of the coolest things you know of what's going on on in the world if there's anything positive is i'm seeing people do things that they've never thought thought about doing my sister recently just picked up a she bought a guitar recently and mm. she's going she's going for that uh i have an aunt that's learning italian and she's painting and she was you know self-conscious about drawing so so i think that's the thing and I, I think for general, think about when you were the most happy. And there's another thing that I find interesting is sometimes our interests seem to be inherited. One of my, a couple of my grandfather's brothers, they were entrepreneurs and they, they made a lot of money. But mm -hmm. then in my immediate family, that was frowned down upon. So it was like the go to school and get a college education, that sort of thing, which, which could be right for some people, of course. But there, what I think if you're in a rut, I think one of the best things is to go back to when were you the most happy and think about things like um, years ago, I remember watching this one TV show and this is back when families watched TV shows and it was only these certain shows all the time. There's one and there was, it was this soap opera or whatever, but in, it was called Dallas, but in there, there was the oil man. And I remember when they had these business meetings, I, I would get a high off of that. Mm. Or like I'm in Starbucks and people are talking business and I'll get a high off of that. So it's, it's kind of interesting, but for me, when were decide the most happy when I was competing. So you find out what it is that really gets you exciting and then think of it as your mantra, I compete. So I'm competing against me, never against others. Cause I don't think that's healthy, but if it's a sport competition, the pool, see that was, I was in those schools and that wasn't fulfilling me, but that I compete. It wasn't leading to a career was the pool thing. So mm -hmm. now I'm taking that and, you know, and learning and trying to prove my skills through entrepreneurship, just like I did through pool, like a little thing, a little technique, a little here. And then there's like these little skills, like in pool, you make the ball go forward, you make it go backwards, side spin, bank shots, defense, offense. So there's, each one of those categories, you know, you kind of have a grade A, B, C, D, and F, and eventually you can make your D's and F's. And same thing on, the, on my entrepreneur journey, you cut, there's all these little things, and then you kind of can maybe give self grades and that sort of thing and see what the areas you need to improve in. And don't beat yourself up. And I still believe in not quitting until you can safely do that, where it's not that sort of thing. So, because if 
if you quit your job too soon, then it could take away some of the creative energy because now you're under a lot of stress. And then your patience, it, it'll just change the energy. And when you try to make a program, if you're under a lot of stress, it just, it, I don't think it'll, it'll reach your potential. Yeah, it's, it's a lot harder. Stress, stress, if you want to be creative, you have to lower your stress because stress can kill creativity. If I'm stressed out, I'm going to get some good ideas of how to improve my situation or get out of my whatever's bothering me. No. Creativity will be sucked up. You know, that's why you don't make big decisions when, when you're like freaking out about the thing. You don't make a decision then. You have to wait until you calm down. And that's, that's the same thing, I think, with the relationships. Instead of going like crazy on your wife, ah, you know, if you feel that way, instead of doing that, then you go for a drive. And then when you think about it, then you come back and then you have a, a conversation that's not based on emotion and is based on just like, oh, okay. Yeah, I know. Like, I, I think that's super important. Like, a lot of the times, even when, when it comes to this current situation, I think stress is like super high for a lot of people going through, you know, this quarantine and um, yeah, it's, yeah, I don't know. Like, I think just learning how to manage that is just a huge skill that any adult needs to learn how to do. Um, but I guess I have one more question for you, Robert, or two more, I guess. So the first one is if you could go back to, you know, Robert in that special ed classroom and give him, you know, advice or one, 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 uh, sentence of advice or advice for that younger Robert, what would you tell him? What would I tell him? That's a, that's a good question because I never considered this. That this is temporary and, and you're more, and you're more than j just this, that this doesn't define you. It doesn't define what you're capable of. And yeah, pretty much that. I never thought about it. Yeah. Well, like, I just want to honor you, Robert. No, I lied. I just did. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, I just want to honor you, Robert, because when I literally first heard your story on Facebook of, you know, overcoming your labels and you're literally being in that special classroom, um, you must have done like considerable amounts of work to get through that. And now that you're, you know, you became an industry teacher. I think it's like one of those full circle things where you overcame that and you know now you can share like not only just teach other people but also kind of show how to overcome certain limitations and I think that's uh what a lot of what the world needs in, in a lot of ways but um yeah, it's true but uh yeah I guess Robert where can people find you on social media and check out uh, your work and learn more about what you do I have a YouTube channel, Reaching Dream Fulfillment. So the, the premise of it is I have these graduations. Mm -hmm. And the graduations are a, is a symbol of graduating into a new life. So I set these goals, and they're due by the graduation day. And that puts uh, pressure on you to accomplish something because you can't back out of these graduations. If you don't accomplish much, everyone's going to be there and you have to say why, what we're celebrating. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so you better get something done. So it, it's, it started with uh, four years 
So I called it the high school program. And then you invite the people and then it's on YouTube. And then you give a speech. Nobody knows what you're graduating from until they show up. You don't know what you're graduating from because it's only as much as you accomplish by the due date. So the, the high school one, it's on YouTube. And then the next one, the next one was the AA degree. The next one's called the bachelor's. And one of my goals is called the bachelor's challenge. I have to make more money from my bachelor's than the one I got from Long Beach State. Mm -hmm. Otherwise I pay a fine. And when you pay the fines, you don't, I don't just hand you $50. I write out a check because when you're writing out a check, people watching will go, oh, he's actually doing this. They, they think about, you know, the money more and, oh, he's, oh, he's ripping out the check. You know, it, it, it takes longer. So then people are thinking more about, wow, he's actually doing this. So, that's so it's showing the journey of me trying to accomplish these goals, the wins, the losses and everything. So I want to show everything and not make it like, because a lot of times it's like, how I make how I make uh, ten thousand dollars a month on YouTube or something like that. Mm. Instead, I want to show the the whole thing, the wins, the losses, and everything to show it's a hard journey and it is tough because sometimes people will read those things. Oh, how I did this and that, and, the, and they might get this perception it's like this, and they're looking for that, but it's not that. Mm. I could tell you a certain method to do this and that. And they'll resonate with some people and some people won't because we all have different personalities and stuff. So what works for me, even the, even when I make programs, it won't always help everybody. So yeah, there's no, there's no one size fits all. That's why there's so many occupations and there's so many different things. So, you know, but it, it will be nice when I do have these products, the people I do, you know, resonate with and the people who are able to get even better results than me, I hope that would really be awesome. So that's going to be reaching dreams, uh, potential on YouTube. Oh, reaching dream fulfillment. Okay. okay. Reaching dreams, dream. Oh, reaching dreams, fulfillment. Sorry. No, no singular dream. Oh, re reaching dream fulfillment. There you go. Exactly. Okay. Singular. Okay, sweet. Yeah, I'll have that. And then, sure and, then, and then on Facebook, I have something called the Stoic Journal, where I got something called the Stoic Journal, and it has all from the Stoic philosophy, it asks questions every day. Mm -hmm. So, and I write 10 answers. So that's another, that's another thing that I'm doing right now. Actually, that that's that's pretty interesting. Like I recently kind of got into stoicism as well, maybe over the last six months. But uh, just out of curiosity, like what initially drew you to stoicism? I I was kind of a little interested, just because you know, if you're studying entrepreneurship, eventually you find out there's several entrepreneurs that are into it, and then you kind of get curious and go, okay, what is it that's resonating with them, and then. Mm -hmm you could like want to find out. Um, there's some, there's something I'm working on right now that there's these comforts. I was going to have, as they tell you a lot of different programs and stuff, they tell you to give like free content through emails on an email list. Mm -hmm. And then you get, then people are on an email list. And then later when you have a product, then they already have a relationship and that sort of thing. So originally, 
my plan was, okay, one of the emails will be on uh, getting out of your comfort zone. One will be about phobias. One will be, and I had five topics. And then, so the first one I said was getting out of your comfort zone. So then I'm looking for a comfort zone book and I'm like, okay. And then I saw this other book and I go, hey, this is better. So instead of talking about the philosophy of getting out, blah, 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 it's a book of just comfort zone exercises. So my free emails is taking those comfort zone exercises and putting them into different levels like hard, medium. I've done something personally for myself is from the book. There's so many things you can't do because of the quarantine. So I found 31 of the exercises you can do during quarantine which I've already started. So one of them was contacting people you haven't talked to in many, many, many years and having a get together. So then I, I said, you know, a lot of people are down now with, with the Corona thing and people are gonna be really thirsting to connect whenever we can. So then I said, hey, I can't meet them now per se, but I can set up these meetings. So I'm on a little fun adventure and I try to make it as long as possible. So there's people I haven't seen in 35, 40 years about, and well, 30 some years since high school or, or even farther. And then all of a sudden they get a message on, from me from Facebook. Hey, when this is over, I'll treat you to lunch. And you yeah. know what? I just put it out there. Most people would be scared to go, they're going to think I'm crazy, blah, blah, blah. And I've gotten in a lot of positive, uh, and I took it to the next step. I'm actually treating them to lunch. Mm -hmm. So that's one of the exercises. And thank you for, for bringing this up. So now I'm writing a letter to somebody. So one of the exercises is to write 10 letters to people. So th there's all these different exercises in there. And there's 31 that you can do during lockdown. So and that's the thing by doing the comfort zone exercises you don't know what's going to happen and that's the same thing in life if the more things that you try and do you don't know what's one interview what's going to lead to you don't sometimes you think oh i'm just talking about blah, 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 and the, but sometimes there's hidden value you don't know but the more you put out you know one of these comfort zone exercises, I could meet my future wife. You have no idea. Mm. Yeah, well, well I, <clears throat> I think that's uh, the importance of just trying things out, right? Like, I, I really resonate with the idea that, you know, winners show up, like, just to, you have to try, you have to try, right? Like, give it a exactly. shot. Exactly. Give the interview a shot. If you have an idea or a YouTube video you want to create or, you know, someone you want to meet or person you want to reach out to, just, you might, you might as well ask for it. I think, like, a lot of people maybe like this has happened to me a lot, but I've missed a lot of opportunities from just not trying. And um, yeah, like, and maybe you fail, like maybe you try and create this, you know, your next entrepreneurial venture, but you might fail, but at least you know that you tried and you won't have a regret, right? Well, you have that and then you learn lessons from different things. Mm -hmm. That's the whole, that's the whole thing is, yeah, you learn lessons and you learn you know, when to set boundaries and, you know, everything is kind of like a little balancing thing. If you get too here or there, yeah. But the main thing is if you are looking to be in the entrepreneurship and you marry somebody that has a completely different idea, you have to have similar basic things. 
you know, anytime you get in a relationship, it's, it's never going to be your perfect, you know, match or whatever, but the basic things have to be the same. Yeah, so yeah. I guess I have one more question for you. This is, sorry, we're going a little bit over. I know that you probably- No, that's okay. You, it's okay. Do you know why? I'm, oh, only, I'm, I'm only patient on Saturdays and Tuesdays. Okay, well, why is that? <laughs> so if it was Wednesday, I would say, that's it. And then I would shut off the computer now. No, I'm kidding. It's just a joke. <laughs> okay. okay, well- no, I'm okay. a patientable person. I'm cool. Yeah, I'm going to try and hit you with a deep question right here, Robert. So okay. um, I guess I guess first question is how, how old are you right now? Or? I'm 48. 48. Okay. So Robert, if you, as a 48 year old, if you reflect on your life and your whole life experience up until this moment, what do you think is, you know, let's say some of the biggest lessons you've learned? Let me see. You have to be patient that whatever you're going through now, whatever, this is something I've always thought of, whatever time period you're going through now, that's your reality. And just always seems like it'll always be that way. Mm -hmm. That even when we feel we're in a rut, we're changing. Even when we're, we're, we're trying not to change, our bodies are changing, we're getting older, our eyesight's changing, you know, everything's always changing. So, and it be able to adapt because conditions will change. The good news is most things in your life you can control. And the things that you can't totally control, you need to adapt and be, and especially now, now is all about adapting. Mm -hmm. You know, I... A great example for me is the interviews I did, I prefer person to person like this, you know, where somebody's sitting right there and I did all the interviews like that. And now I'm getting more possibilities for interviews and more because I've opened up to Zoom and that sort of thing. So that was the first thing I said is this economy is going to be changing. We don't know exactly what what it's going to lead to. Some things will go out, unfortunately. Some things will go in. This mm -hmm. was happening already because of technology, you know, like truck drivers and automatic trucks, those kiosks and those restaurants and, and all those type of things. So you can focus on the desire. Um, I have to learn all this. I'm getting older. And, and too set in my ways, but we have to be able to adapt. I think our ability to adapt creates a lot of our happiness or unhappiness. So, you know, there's things that are out of our control, but focus on the things you can control. I can control what I eat. I can control the content that I look at if it's positive or negative. I can control the people I surround myself with and that sort of thing. So there's focus on what you can control. That's, that's the good news is most things you can control. That's, that's the good news and keep that. And then when things get hard or even now there's a lot of negative stuff, you could be have negative thoughts, Stop yourself, 
we're all guilty of it. And don't say, why am I having these thoughts? No, don't, don't beat yourself up. Instead, say to yourself, what should I be doing now? I remember one time I was, I was not in a good place. I was kind of down and stuff. And then the, I was going to go to the Greek festival. And I, then I told myself, I don't feel like going. And I was going by myself. And then I, I went there and had a great time. So I could have sat there and go, Ugh, about whatever I was not happy about. Or I could have went there and I, I had a blast over there. And uh, yeah, it was really, it was really cool. I like that. I love that message, Robert. I think it's powerful, like especially at the time right now, just to be able to, you know, adapt to the situation and, um, you know, just really focus on the areas that you can control and, you know, the stuff that you can't control, at least you can adapt to it and keep on, you know, pushing forward. Exactly. And then be with the people that have the positive mindset too, because, you know, there's people that have had to have a positive mindset in the darkest places. Mm -hmm. One of my teachers in uh, high school, he fought in Vietnam and he, he admitted to the kids that sometimes, you know, they would see somebody's guts or whatever. And they'd, it sounds kind of sick, but they were cracking jokes. That was just to keep their, their sanity in the, in the darkest, in the darkest conditions of, of course, war is a very dark place. So, wow. Wow. Well, yeah, like, I'm glad that, yeah, even now, like a hundred years ago, World War One and World War Two would have kind of been around, happening around this time. So even this quarantine, so true. yeah, this quarantine is nothing compared to that. So, yeah, they had a double whammy because World War, they had World War One, and then they had, then they had that, uh, the Spanish flu. Mm. The, or they call it the influenza in 1918. It was like back to back. Or then you have the Great Depression and World War II. And that, that's, that's the thing. You know, here's something, because I did study history. And that was my major. And the, do you, we're getting more content than ever. And by getting more content than ever, it can make, make it seem like the world's a darker place than it's ever been mm. because we're being bombarded with most. But if you open up a history book and I told you, okay, and we just say it's a European history book. I say, okay, go to 1680. All right, tell me how many wars are going on. And then you just go around the history book and we're just going to do Europe. And you're like, oh, there's name them. Oh, there's these eight wars going on. Oh, there's this, 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 this. And one war would end and another would start. It was just constant, constant, constant. Now you look right now and you said, okay, two, 2010, 2020 or 2000, you know, or the last 30 years or whatever. Okay. Tell me, okay. Name a European war. You can't name one. Well, right now we have to go back to 1999 and that's 20 years when before we have eight or nine wars going on at once. So the truth, the truth is, yeah. It seems like it, but the funny thing is there's less war now than there's ever been, mm -hmm. but it, we're hearing about these wars so much that they sound, yeah. Not to say that whatever was going on with ISIS or something wasn't a serious thing or wasn't horrible for the people that it was happening to, but mm -hmm. in comparison, you just open up a history book and give yourself different years and look at whatever kind you want to look at and it's different. 
but it seems so much worse because we hear it all the time. Yeah, well, I think that's the uh, maybe some of the negative effects of the internet, right? Like it makes negative ideas or things that are bad in the world, it just magnifies it to such a huge scale. Whereas, you know, when you realistically look at it, it's like this is the most luxury, like living in North America that the world has ever been in. Like you can yeah, really people are living longer and and what you can do. It's it's like it's like crazy. I mean, before you I mean, even this interview you're doing right now, I would have to be some major celebrity or something, you know. Yeah, well, or like, something like that. You, yeah, know? you never know, Robert. Like maybe in, in a couple of years, I think you keep on working hard and you'll be a major celebrity, man. But uh, I guess I could I could talk to you forever, Robert. But uh, I guess I'll r- r- leave it at that. And um, yeah, I guess do you have any last words you want to say to the viewers or? Um, let me let me think. Okay, I got I got something. Okay. <laughs> okay. Here's something that I want to leave with people. Okay. And I did this before, but I'm doing it now for another reason. I had a situation a few years ago where I asked somebody how they were, and you know, we always have the standard answers. All right, good, you know, or something like that, great. Mm -hmm. And I asked this person, how are you? And he said, average. And then I go, average? I go, that's interesting. So then I ask him again, how are you doing? He goes, average. So then I, so then somebody asked me and I was over there and I said, how are you? I went leaps and bounds above average. Yeah. And then I just expanded it. So every time people ask me how I am, I give different answers. I go somewhere in between good and spectacular. Yeah. I'm on a fun-filled march towards wonderful. I'm galloping towards terrific. I'm on an exasperating sprint towards amazing. So now when I say these things, I, I, people are kind of in a dark place right now. When I say this, it lifts them up. So, you know, that's, you're one person. And if you can lift other people during this time, or I'll even, I even came out with some COVID material. I, I'd say, you know what? Have you heard of, COVID 1 through 18, they'll go, no, I haven't heard of it. I go, let's think positively. COVID 1 through 18 was nothing. You never heard about it. It must have been like a 2.3 earthquake. So I said, okay, this 19 is tough, but since 1 through 18 was nothing, I think we have nothing to worry about until COVID 43. You know, stuff like this. Yeah, well, I love it, Rob. Really, like, I think a positive mindset. Um... I don't know. It's just, it's such a beautiful thing to have. And it's, it's something that um, I think always, uh, like there's always going to be a, what's the word for it? Like it just makes your life a lot easier and it helps the people around you as well. Like it helps, it helps everyone. Right. And that's one of the reasons why I wanted to interview you on the show is because it's magnetic. Oh, thank you. But, uh, but yeah, yeah, guys, there you have it. We have Robert Loria, and uh it was fun and i still i still have not been on a podcast and i still have not given a speech i only talk about whatever so i'll never be on a podcast i'll never give a speech and i'll never give an interview yeah well i'll just talk about just have a nice time having a conversation and that's what this is to me just a, a nice conversation thank you for a nice conversation
Yeah, and, and that's what this is. This is this is just a conversation. Like, exactly. I don't even look at it as a podcast either or a interview. Like I like to look at it as just a conversation back and forth. And exactly. Know, in the day, like I, I can walk away from this knowing a little bit more. You know, with I'm going to go on a walk right after this, but I'm just I don't know feeling a little bit better. Grab a cup of coffee and just think about the world. And you know, we both benefit here. So <laughs> I'm going. I'm going to walk. I'm going on a walk too. Yeah, Robert, I guess there we have it. I'm just going to stop recording.